In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we are in uh, a series of six Sundays reading a single block of text from Mark 8 and 9. And remember, Mark's gospel has a pivot, has a hinge where there's a before and an after. In chapter 8, when Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and then from that point on in the gospel, he sets his face to go to Jerusalem, to go to his cross. And last week, I said that Jesus and the disciples have this little dance that they do. I mean, it's not like a real dance, but I, would, I like to think maybe they danced when they were together. How cool would that be? Uh, they had this little dance that went like this. Jesus would predict his passion. The disciples would be bewildered. And then Jesus would teach them about discipleship. He would predict, they'd be bewildered, and he would teach them about, about discipleship, what last week we called the way of Jesus. And this way, this road that Jesus is calling us on, calling the disciples to walk on, is also the road that we are on. And so what I want to do today is continue teasing out this, these texts, um, but today to look at the kind of the underside, the, the upside down, the underside of the way, the perils, the pitfalls, the dangers that we encounter on the road with Jesus. And so from our texts, let's look together at three of them. Number one, the danger of looking back. Number two, the danger of looking down. And then number three, the danger of shutting our eyes. Number one, looking back. So this is the danger of nostalgia, and it actually comes more from the Old Testament reading from today, from Numbers. It says, the rabble among them had a strong craving. The Israelites wept again, or they murmured, they grumbled again, and said, if only we had meat to eat. Remember the fish we used to eat in Egypt? The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. So you remember the story that Israel, the children of Israel, the Israelites, had come through the Red Sea, uh, but now they're wandering in the desert. And day by day as they walk, they get weaker and this hunger grows in them, this craving gnaws at them. God gives them manna, sure, but what they remember in the back of their mind, you can almost smell it, are the the stocked larders of Egypt. You remember all the good things they had, you know, way back when. It's nostalgia. I've heard nostalgia called willful misremembering. It's hearkening back to an imagined past, those well-stocked larders, the leeks, the onions, the garlic, rather than how things really were, which were the welts on their back from the lashes they received from their Egyptian masters. But I, I tell you, nostalgia is really sweet. Uh, I do it almost every day, almost every single day. Um, there, back in March, there was a, um, the essayist Leslie Jameson wrote an op-ed in the New York Times uh, about feeling nostalgic in the time that we live in in COVID, and she said, even as the vaccines offer hope, 
The news is full of waves and variants, surges and plateaus, uncertainty instead of solid timelines. The claustrophobia of this ongoingness, its lack of a clear plot line, its seemingly eternal present, has induced in many, including me, a kind of hysterical nostalgia for life in the before times, whatever memories that lost chapter holds for each of us. I think about that almost every day, the lost chapter, the before times, what it was like to do ministry at St. B's before March 2020. But as another writer has put it, nostalgia is a rose-colored rear view. It dampens the present and it actually clouds the future. In 1962, uh, Leslie Newbegin, the missionary theologian, uh, published a paper. And in the paper, he said this, What is God doing in these tremendous events of our time? How are we to understand them and interpret them to others so that we and they may play our part in them as co-workers with God? Nostalgia for the past and fear for the future are equally out of place for the Christian. The Christian is required in the situation in which God places him to discern the signs of the times in light of the reality of God's present and coming kingdom and to give his witness faithfully about the purpose of God for all mankind. Like the Israelites, I am, at least, I think we are tempted to look back and yearn for our old lives, the individual lives we had, the collective corporate life that we had as a family at St. B's. But God is calling us today. And on the way of Jesus, looking back is a danger. Danger number two. This one is looking down, and let's call this the danger of uh, spiritual pride or the danger of monopoly. This should um, actually jump, it should have jumped right out at you as we did the readings, as Seth read and I read the gospel, because this is in both of those readings. It's the thread that connects them. So in Numbers, Moses gathers these 70 elders of Israel, presents them to God. God... um, took some of the spirit that was on Moses. We think that had to be some kind of authority, this God-given leadership capability. And he put it on the elders so they could help Moses lead. And when the spirit landed on them, they prophesied. So this is some kind of charismatic gift, uh, apparently, of some sort. But you'll notice that two of the elders, I don't know, maybe they were playing video games, they slept late, they did not come, they didn't make it to the ceremony. And so they weren't there when the hands were laid over them or prayed over them, and they were supposed to receive the Spirit. Instead, they were back in the camp. But they prophesied anyway, and Joshua would have none of it. He said, my Lord Moses, which if he was a southerner, he would have said it differently. He said, my Lord Moses, make them stop. The same thing happens in John's gospel, I mean in Mark's gospel, where John says, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we stopped them. We told them them to stop because he wasn't following us. But Jesus, like Moses, was having none of that. Both of them said, do not stop them. 
would that God's work was being done all over the place by all sorts of people. Whoever is not against us is for us. The danger, I think, of looking down is imagining that we have the market cornered on what it means to be real Christians. Our way is the superior way, and the Baptists, the Roman Catholics, the Presbyterians, the Orthodox, they're nice enough, but they should really align with us if they know what is good for them and for the kingdom. But Jesus does not belong to the Episcopalians. Jesus does not belong to the Baptists, the Presbyterians, the Orthodox, and the Catholics either. As Barclay said, again, William, not Charles, uh, it is a fearful thing for any man or any church to think that he or it has a monopoly on salvation. There are a lot of people in the world that do things in the name of Christ, people who believe the exact opposite of what you believe about vaccines or climate change or the right to life or right to choose or sexuality or a million other things. And when people who we absolutely know are flat wrong are out there delivering people from oppression, Jesus says, do not stop them. The second danger on the way of Jesus is to look down on other people, to claim a monopoly on God's work in the world. And then the last danger, number three, this is real quick, uh, is shutting our eyes. This is what I think of as the danger of denial. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. Your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. And I'm sure I don't have to say up front that this is hyperbole, that Jesus is not advocating amputation as a sin prevention mechanism. But the danger is, I think for us enlightened folk, the danger is to read these words and then just shut our eyes. To read them and shut our eyes to deny what Jesus is saying is how deadly sin is to his followers. So N.T. Wright, in his little commentary on this passage of Mark's gospel, says, Discipleship is difficult and demands sacrifices. Many today write and speak as if the only purpose in following Jesus were to find complete personal fulfillment and satisfaction, to follow a way or a path of personal spirituality which will meet our felt needs. That is hardly the point. There's a war on. God is at work in our world. So are the forces of evil. And there really is no time or space for self-indulgent spiritualities that shirk the slightest personal cost or even resisted on the grounds that all the desires and hopes one finds within one's heart must be God-given and so must be realized. So I do this all the time, but look back at the collect. So on page 4 is the, the prayer that we pray at the beginning. It's called the collect of the day, when we collect up all our thoughts, kind of find a theme for the day. And at the bottom of the page, you'll see that we prayed for grace to run to obtain God's promises. 
to run. That means grace to grow in godliness, or to use an old word, to mortify the flesh, to wean our hearts off of the sinful things we desire until we want nothing except God's will. That running part is ascesis. It's where we get the word ascetical. and It means to struggle or to train, to work. It is absolutely integral to Christian growth because all of us are running in some direction. We're running one way or another. But Gregory of Nyssa says, grace does not naturally frequent souls fleeing from salvation. Shutting our eyes to the fact that we have to run, the moral call on the disciple is the danger of denial. One last point. Um, None of this is easy. Uh, We trade nostalgia for an idyllic past, for the hope of an uncertain future, to let go the prideful belief that we are the good ones, everybody else should just get with the program, or to do the hard work of running to obtain the promises of God. All of it's hard. So where do we find strength to do it? But when we're tempted to look back, to look down, or just to shut our eyes, look at the cross. Jesus left heaven to come find you, to find me. Our future was more important than any nostalgia he had for the past. And he fought his way down to us so we can grasp the hand and run to find the promises of God. Don't look back, don't look down, don't shut your eyes. Look at him and find strength to walk the way of Jesus. Consider that an invitation. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.